Today we're going to go back and pick up in our study the book of Acts. We have been out of it for a little bit. Now we're going to go back and resume our study. If you remember, so far we have looked at 21 of the 28 chapters of the book of Acts. Today we're going to start back here in chapter 2 and we're going to move into the home stretch of our study. It's going to be downhill from here to the end of our study. Now, as we start, I want to tell you my prayer, my hope is that the conclusion of this study would greatly impact us. That is my prayer, that the conclusion of this study would, would truly get a hold of us, that it would transform us, preparing us to stand as the church in the last days. I'm praying that these aren't just a bunch of sermons that we sit through, just a, a bunch of notes that we take, but that there would be a great impact in the conclusion of this study, preparing us to stand as the church in the last days. That is my prayer. That is my hope. That is my burning desire. Because the world needs the gospel preaching church of Jesus Christ. Friends, I want you to hear me this morning. More than any time, I believe this, more than any time, the world needs the church. We need to be very sure today our answer is not going to be found in a politician. It's not going to be found in a court or a court decision. It's not going to be found in a new system or an improvement of an old system. It's not going to be found in more education or a better education. The answer for a world that is lost and suffering in darkness today is the good news of Jesus Christ alone. And it is the church that we're, where we're stewards of that good news. It is the church where we are heralds of that good news. Listen to me today. Look around today. The world needs the church. Now let me tell you the problem. Here's the problem. At this most critical time, the church has become distracted. The church has become distorted. It has become misled. The, the church today, look around at this most critical time, it is filled with false teachers and false teachings. At this most critical time, the church has become enamored with the things of the world. And the church has largely gone silent when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know that's the plan of Satan? Do you know that's the ploy of Satan? People of the world is suffering, looking for hope, hoping that there's hope. And in that critical time, the church largely has gone silent when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, listen to me today. As much as that is bad news, as much as that is hard news, I want you to be sure, and here's why I'm so glad you're here. I want you to be sure today there is good news. And the good news is we can stand. Do you hear me? The good news is we can stand. There has been no better day, no better day has ever existed to stand as a light that shines in the darkness. And I want to tell you the good news, Calvary Baptist Church, is we can be standing and shouting the good news of hope in Jesus when he comes again. I want to tell you that's good news. When he comes again, we can be boldly declaring the hope that we have in Jesus. God help us in that. God help us in that. 
Today our message as we start back is entitled Making a Defense. Making a Defense. Today we're in Acts chapter 22 verses 1 through 16. Acts chapter 22 verses 1 through 16. Making a Defense. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 22 beginning in the first verse it says this. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, and brought up in this city, educated under Gamal, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you are today. I persecuted this way to death binding and putting both men and women into prisons. And also the high priest and the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. But it happened that as I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up and go on into Damascus. And there you'll be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led there by the hand of those who were with me and came into Damascus. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, standing near to me. Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I looked up at him. And he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, we come today, we are thankful that today we have hope as your people, that we have peace settled and fixed in the person of Christ today. We're, we're thankful today that we can come and not of any work of our own, but in your grace and in your power, we can be forgiven of our sin, that we can stand with a clean slate in the righteousness of Jesus today. Lord, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. Lord, I pray as we begin now to study your word, I, I pray that it would truly be what you have intended. It would be a supernatural event, that you would speak to us through your word, that you would lead us through your word. And I pray that we would be prepared as your people, changed, built, transformed as your people. And I pray that it would bear great impact for your glory. Lord, I pray for some here that do not know you. Some that are here that maybe have heard about you but haven't trusted you personally as their Savior. Lord, I pray that today, perhaps this very hour, 
that they would trust you, that any hindrance would be removed and they would hear the gospel. They would receive it in faith and in faith they would be saved. Lord, we trust that to you as well. Lord, we tell you today we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we begin today, let me lay out some great truths that we have learned about the church. 21 chapters into our study, these are some great truths that we have gleaned, that we have learned about the church. And let me start off with that. Here's some things we've learned about the church so far in our study. The first thing we see is this, the church is God's plan. The church is God's plan. It is not devised by man. It is not a man-made institution. Somewhere they didn't sit around in a council and come up with the idea for the church. Unlike any other group, the church is God's plan. Now listen, that is a big deal. That's a big thing for us to understand. The church is God's plan. That's the first thing we know. The second thing we know is this. The church is empowered by God. The church is empowered by God. It is not man's might that drives the church. Now, we might like to think that, but it is not the power of man. It's not man's might that drives the church. Remember, at the moment of its founding, there is also its filling with the spirit and the power of God. And so understand, the church is empowered by God. Now, listen, that's an awesome truth. With the things that we have to do, with the mission that we've been given, that is an awesome truth. The church is empowered by God. Third thing, while the church is God's plan, and while the church is empowered by God, the church works through his faithful people. We have seen that. The church works through his faithful people. God gifts people, all believers, we have a gift, and he places them in the church, and his mission is carried out by faithful, obedient people. The work of the church is carried out by faithful, obedient people. Now, here's what that means. That means there's work to do in the church. It means you're gift, and therefore you are necessary in the life of the church. Let me ask you a question. What would our church look like if everyone served like you, if everyone attended like you, if everyone witnessed like you? What would our church look like? The church works through his faithful, obedient people. And then the last truth that we're going to look at is this. The last truth is this. The fourth thing is this. The primary mission of the church is the proclamation of the gospel and to make Jesus known. 
That's what we've learned. That's what we've seen. It's almost reoccurring in everything we see. The primary mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel and make Jesus known. That is the objective of the church. That is the goal of the church. That is the mission and the purpose of the church. We exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make Jesus known. That is the priority. Let me tell you something. Many folks have lost that today. Some folks in the church have never heard that today. And so we're building churches that are self-consumed. We're building churches that are self-focused. Listen, the primary purpose of the church, it's not a club. It's not to have things that we like. It's not to have things that comfort us. The primary purpose of the church is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why the church exists. Okay, those four things we've learned in 21 chapters. Now we move into our conclusion, into our verses for today. As we start back in chapter 22, we find Paul in Jerusalem at the Passover. Paul has traveled. He is in Jerusalem at the Passover. We know from the first 21 chapters, he has preached the gospel literally all over the place. He's gone from up to down, left to right. He has literally preached the gospel all over the place. He has seen God move in the proclamation of the gospel. Now, that's an awesome thing. He has seen God's work. He has seen God's movement in the proclamation of the gospel. He has also suffered greatly for the proclamation of the gospel. We see that he has suffered. He has been beaten. He has been jailed. He has suffered for the proclamation of the gospel. Well, having done all of that, at this point, he has traveled back to Jerusalem. Once there, he has been arrested on false charges brought by the Jews. Now, if you think about that, it sounds eerily familiar in Jerusalem. There for the Passover, a Jewish mob wants him silenced. A Jewish mob wants him dead. It, it sounds eerily like the story of Jesus. As we end chapter 1, Paul is led by a Roman guard out of the crowd. Again, it sounds eerily familiar. A, a Roman cohort, a Roman guard is taking charge of him, and he's led out of the crowd. As Paul is leaving... From the steps of the barracks that he is about to enter into, he asked for permission to speak to the Jews. Now, I'm going to back up to chapter 21, and I'm going to read starting in verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. But Paul said, I am a Jew of Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city, and I beg you to allow me to speak to the people. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand, and when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect saying. All right, that brings us to our verses today, starting today, chapter 22, verse 1. 
Verse 1 says this. Paul begins to speak. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. He begins standing on the steps of the barracks. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. Brethren and fathers, those are names of camaraderie. Those are also names, titles of honor. And so he, he starts off by honoring them. He says, hear my defense. The Greek word for defense there, it's a word apologia. It means a verbal defense. It translates a reasoned response. What it is, is a thought out verbal response, a defense. He's going to give his thought out, reasoned, verbal response. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, we as followers of Christ are commanded to be ready to give a defense for our faith. We as believers, we are commanded in the Scripture to be prepared to give a defense of our faith, to be ready. It's the same word. Means this, we are to stand ready to give a thought-out response, explanation of the hope that we have in Jesus. Listen, that's what we're supposed to be ready for as believers, to give a defense, to give a response, to be able to thoughtfully explain the hope that we have in Jesus. Paul says, my defense I now offer to you, verse 2. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, this, this vocal crowd, this borderline near riot, they were hushed at the end of chapter 21, but now the Bible says, hearing the Hebrew dialect, they are even more quiet. Here's what it means. You could have heard a pin drop. Here's this crowd, and they're whipped up into a frenzy, and they want to see him dead, and they're shouting all these things. And as he begins to speak in their own tongue, you could have heard a pin drop. Verse 3, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia and brought up in this city, educated under Gamal, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you are, you all are today. Now, remember their claim. Their claim is that he is opposed to the Jews. Their claim, if you listen to it, they say he is misleading the Jews. They are saying he is an enemy of the Jews. Well, Paul starts off and he declares, I am a Jew. They say, you're an enemy of the Jews. He starts off and he says, I am a Jew. I was born in Tarsus, but raised here in the capital city. Now, he's making a point here. Here in the city where the, the temple stands, here in the, the city where the priests do their service. He says, I was raised in Jerusalem. He says, I was educated under Gamal. That was the leading scholar of the day. He says he was educated strictly according to the law of our fathers. He knows all the aspects, the ins and the outs of the law. He says he is zealous, passionate for God. Now I want you to see what he's doing here. They claim he is an enemy of the Jews. 
And so he starts off by saying, I am a Jew. But he goes on and says, actually, more than that, I'm more Jewish than you. And that's what he says. They say, you're an enemy. You're a threat to the Jews. He says, I'm a Jew. And not only that, I'm more Jewish than you. I grew up here in Jerusalem. Where did you grow up? They traveled in. He says, I was educated by the best scholar. By whom were you educated? He says, you claim to be zealous. Don't talk to me about being zealous. I will show you zealousness for God. They claim to be Jews. He says, I'm a Jew too. And I'm more Jewish than you, verse 4. I persecuted this way to death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. Verse 5. As also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify, for from them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. Paul says here in these two verses, what you're seeking to do, you think you're zealous, what you're seeking to do, I've already done all of that. I've killed people unto death. I've hauled people to prison, to jail, men and women. What you're seeking to do, I've already done that. Notice here, I think it's very interesting, what he called the Christian movement. He says, the way. Verse 4, the way. I persecuted this way to the death. He says, the way. Now, understand, this was the term that had come to be known for the movement of Christ, really for the church. This was the term when they talked about the way They were talking about the movement of Christ. They were talking about, really, the church. Now, I want you to see this. This really has a Jewish perspective to it. You really have to have a a Jewish understanding to see how this works out. You see, from the context of Judaism, out of the context of Judaism, you have the revelation of God. They had the revelation of God. It came out of the context of Judaism. Out of the context of the law, from the context of the law, they saw their inability to be close to God. They see their inability to keep the law. They see their broken relationship with God. So out of the context of Judaism, they are introduced to God. Out of the context of the law, they see their inability to be close to God. And in Jesus... You have the way to God. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Where out of Judaism they were introduced to God, where out of the law they learned of their separation from God, in Jesus they hear of the way to God. Notice the end of verse 5. It says, those of the way, they were sought, and it says this, to be punished. To be punished. They were punished not for crimes. They were punished not for offenses against the state or against anybody else. They were punished for following Jesus. Do you see that? He sought them to to haul them away, to, to punish them to the point of death, to put them into jail for following Jesus. We're going to see that again in a moment. Verse 6. But, wow, 
It happened that as I was on my way, approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. We're going to continue in the count here in a second, but I want you to see this one word, but. I don't want to move so fast we miss that word, but. Be sure today, listen to me, for believers, ours is a gospel of but. Here Paul had a plan, but God had a different plan. Here Paul had a direction that he was set off in, but God had a different direction. Here was Paul going to squash the gospel, but in the work of God, he becomes a preacher of the gospel. Friends, I want you to hear me. I want you to see this today. We are no different. In Jesus Christ, it is the same for us today. We had one direction, but in Jesus Christ, we have a new direction. We are lost in our sin, perishing in its wages, but... Now we are found in Jesus Christ. We once were hopeless and helpless, defeated in our sin, but now we have victory in Jesus. We once had a debt of sin that we could never pay, nothing we could do to ever pay it, but now we stand redeemed because Jesus paid it all. And I want you to understand still today, praise the Lord, it is a gospel of but... But it, it happened on the way that I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, verse 7. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now I want to stop right here and I want to point out something again. I've, I've made the point earlier as we were passing through chapter 9. We've seen the point before, but I want to make the point again. Notice this. Paul, Saul, is persecuting the church. Saul is persecuting the proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus. Saul is persecuting those of the way. Yet what does Jesus say here? Saul, why are you persecuting me? I want you to see this, and I want to tell you, church, we better be ready for this. The issue today is Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? The issue is not you. The issue is not even the church. The issue today is Jesus. And we need to be ready, especially in the days that we're living in, especially in the time that we're living in. We need to be sure to take up the cause of Jesus. It is never going to be okay to proclaim the good news of Jesus. It is never going to be approved of. To, to follow Jesus will never be acceptable in the eyes of a world that hates Jesus. Listen, the world hates Jesus, and so it hates its followers. The world hates Jesus, so it hates his gospel. The world hates Jesus, so it hates his church. I think somehow today we're thinking the opposite, and we think, you know what, it's going to get better if they could just see how we love, if they could just see what we do, they're going to love us, they're going to approve of us. If we'll just do all the things that they'll okay, that they'll approve of, then they'll accept us. 
Listen, the Word of God says that's not how it's going to be. The Word of God says if we uphold Jesus and we stand on Jesus and if we stand by the dividing line of Jesus and we preach forgiveness and salvation only in Jesus, the world is going to hate us. I look around and say, well, what's the deal with these people? Why are they so upset? Why are they so mad? What's this riot about? Listen, the issue is Jesus. And the church had better be ready. If popularity is what matters to you, it's about to get tough. If not offending folks is what matters to you, listen, it's about to get tough. It already is. The issue is Jesus. Verse 8. And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, to me I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. Verse 9. And those who were with me saw the light to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Verse 10. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go on into Damascus. And there you'll be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. I'm going to read that verse again. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go on into Damascus. And there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. Now, I want to look very carefully. I want to think very carefully about this verse 10. There are two perspectives that we find here in verse 10. Now, if we read it slowly, if we move slowly, and if we think about it, there are two perspectives revealed to us here in verse 10. Now, watch this. There are, listen very carefully, two different uses of the word Lord. Some of you need to wake up. This is going to be awesome. There are two different uses of the word Lord. The first time it is used, Paul is giving his response. When he was blinded, he said, what shall I do, Lord? There it is used. It is a word. It is a title like sir. That person did not know who Jesus was. And so he said, what shall I do, sir? What shall I do, Lord? Then the second time it is used, Paul is now retelling the account. And he says, and the Lord said to me. Now, this is not the title. This is not sir. It is now the position Lord. The first time he does not know who the Lord is, but the second time he is fully aware of who Jesus is. He is positionally the Lord. Now listen, I'm sorry I get so excited about this, but I want you to understand the difference for all people and the difference for Paul here is in that you know the, who Jesus claims to be. Now listen, you can know Jesus to be the son of Mary. You can know Jesus to be the Nazarene, the Nazarite, 
that is the, the son of a carpenter. You can know Jesus to be a great teacher of the law, the rabbi of the twelve. You can know Jesus to be a doer of good, even a worker of miracles. But listen to me, salvation is found when you know Jesus as Lord. And Paul didn't know him in the first declaration, but in the second declaration, by faith he has been saved and he calls Jesus Lord. Praise the Lord. Verse 11. But since I could not see, because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came into Damascus. Verse 12. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken about by all who the Jews who lived there, he is making an appeal to a Jewish crowd, and so he wants to show that this man is respected by the Jews. Verse 13, Ananias, that man came to me, and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I looked up at him. Verse 14, and he said, the God of our fathers has appointed to you to know his will. And to see the righteous one, Jesus, and to hear an utterance from his mouth. Now that's going to be the ending part of our chapter. Verse 15. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now listen, there's a big deal that happens here in the 15th verse. He says, you're going to be a witness of him, Jesus, of all that you have seen and heard. You're going to be a witness of Jesus. Listen to me. That is to be the mode of operation for all believers. Did you know, you don't, you don't, you don't, you're not just existing to go to heaven. You're not just existing to be comfortable in life and to get on and go on down the road somewhere else. The mode of operation for a believer of, of, in Jesus Christ is to tell people what you know of Jesus. That's what Paul did. You're going to testify. That's what we're to do today. We're to be witnesses of what we know of Jesus. That still stands. Verse 16. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And I, and I says, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Very simply, Ananias says, now get going. That's what he says. <laughs> now get going. Now I want to clarify something right here. Sometimes this verse, in fact, many times this verse is used to teach that baptism is part of salvation. That sins are washed away through baptism. There are folks, they'll come to this verse, they'll move to this verse, they'll lift it out of context, they'll cite this verse, and they'll say, well, baptism, it looks like, is what washes away our sin. Baptism is part of our salvation. Now listen, be very careful here. Be sure to hear me. That is not the gospel. That is not the truth. That is a gospel of works. That means there's something we must do in addition to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Listen to me very carefully. That is not the gospel. 
Go with me here. In the original language in this verse, the focus here is not on baptism. When we translate it to English, it sounds like that. But the focus here is on the calling on his name. The most literal translation of the verse is arise, get baptized, and your sins washed away having called on his name. Now that sounds out of order to us. That's the, that's the most literal translation. Notice here the focus is having called on his name. Having called on his name, then be baptized. Having called on his name, you've been forgiven of your sins. They're washed away. Now, how do we know that? Listen, all of Scripture confirms it. Paul, when he gets to the letter of the Romans, says, And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what shall be saved? We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to end right there. We're going to pick back up there next week. I'm going to stop right there. But I, I want to tell you what I, what I think when I read that account. As I have read that over years, I read that, and maybe I'm going to say, maybe you do the same thing, but when I read that, and here's what I think. I want that. I, I want that. I want to meet Jesus on the road. I want a bright light to shine. Why doesn't he appear to me like that? I would like to see that. I want to have an actual, physical, personal encounter with Jesus. Listen, I want to hear his voice like that. Oh, let me tell you who I would be if that would happen to me. Let me tell you the things that I would do if that could just happen to me. I want that. Why does it happen to him? Why does it happen to me? Here's what I've come to understand. Listen, my Savior, our Savior, is no less real than that Jesus on the road to Damascus. My salvation is no less tremendous. I have crossed over from death unto life. I've had my sins forgiven. My salvation is no less spectacular. My gospel is the same gospel, the power of God unto salvation. And here's what I've come to think. What if I had the same response as Paul? But without that experience at the road of Damascus that Paul had, what if I came and said, you know what I have? I have the testimony of God. I have the very word of God telling me of the living God, Jesus. I have his spirit that fills me and my gospel is the same gospel. What if I have the same response without seeing that experience on the road to Damascus? Here's the, here's the deal. You can do that. We can do that. We can be bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. We can be active in the church of Jesus Christ. We can uphold the gospel in a world that's lost and dying outside of the good news of Jesus. Listen, you can do that. Oh, I wish I had that experience. Listen, you don't need that experience. You've got Jesus. You've got his word. We can do that. We can do that. So what are we going to do? Just live lives? Just get on down the road and pay bills? We can do that. We can do that. Let's pray. Very Father, we come, and I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your truth. I'm thankful for your word. I pray we've been instructed today. I, I believe you've spoken to us today. I pray now that we'd be obedient in it. 
that we would commit to being lights in a dark world. We commit to being faithful to your church. We wouldn't worry about what the world says. We wouldn't worry about political correctness. We'd be urgent in upholding the good news of a risen Savior. Help us in that. Use us in that. Lord, as we head into these last weeks of this study, a lot of fire inside of us and underneath us. Lord, help us to be propelled to push out and tell our neighbors and our family members and our cousins and our co-workers there is a Savior today. Help us in that. I pray you'd be glorified through it and in it. Lord, I pray for some that are hearing today in this room and maybe hearing in some other means and they don't know you. And they don't have that peace. I pray that today in the hearing of the gospel that today they might trust you. They might turn to you. And they might be saved today. Again, I ask that you would move, that you'd work, that you'd remove any hindrance to that happening. And I pray that it would bear much fruit today. Lord, we come and tell you we thank you. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you're hearing this message and you're wondering, what's, the, what's all the craziness? What's all the hype? Why all the, why all the urgency? I want to tell you there's good news today that many people don't know. There's good news today that many people are overlooking. And I want to tell you, outside of that good news, there is no hope in this world. And I, want to, I, I don't want to close this service and not tell you what the good news. You want to know what the big deal is? You want to know why we need to be faithful and obedient to, to carrying the gospel in our churches because of this. God loves you. Did you know that? God loves you. And you can sit there and think about 30 things in your brain why he shouldn't love you. He loves you. Bible says each of us has sinned. We, we sinned. It wasn't my parents' fault. It wasn't somebody else's fault. It wasn't the environment's fault. I sinned. You sinned. In our sin, we broke our relationship with the holy God. He's perfect. He's holy. can have no part of sin. We sinned. We broke that relationship. And so, you know what? We feel it. We, we feel the emptiness. And we think, you know what? I'm going to find happiness in money. And I'm going to find happiness in success. And I'm going to find happiness in relationships. And I'm going to find some kind of happiness and self-fulfillment. And, and we just run around. We go around a corner and there's no happiness. And we think around that corner there'll be something there. And we run around that corner and there's nothing there. And we're looking and we're looking and we're searching. And all the while the hope that we have is in Jesus alone. And our world comes along and lies to us and says, you know what? You can get along fine without Jesus. That's some sort of nonsense. That's some sort of superstition. Listen, there's salvation alone in Jesus. That's why our world's hurting so bad. So tough right now. Listen, here's the good news. We've sinned. We've broken our relationship with the Holy God. But God loves us so much 2,000 years ago, He sends His only begotten Son, Jesus. Greatest act of grace, greatest act of love ever imaginable. He comes. He lives a life He never sins. Doesn't sin not one time. Tempted in every way as we are, doesn't sin one time. He is the perfect Lamb of God. He goes to the cross of Calvary. And there he takes my penalty, your penalty, my punishment, your punishment, and he pays it on the cross of Calvary. Now listen, had he sinned, he would have been paying his own punishment. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But he had not sinned, and because he hasn't sinned, he's able to pay your penalty and my penalty. He steps in. The Bible says he's beaten beyond recognition. The book of Isaiah says you couldn't tell the form of a man, you couldn't tell who he was any longer. They beat him, they whip him, they nail him to a cross. There his blood runs out. He dies, paying the penalty. Dead, physically, actually dead. They pull him off of that cross and they put him in a grave. 
The price of sin has been paid in Jesus. He said it is finished. Three days later, he walks out of that grave. He appears to the disciples. He appears to over 500 as well. He stands as the living, risen lamb, the victor over death, the victor over sin, the savior for sinners. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, if you'll profess him as your Lord, if you'll say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry, I had every which way and I blew it, I, I, I rebelled against you and I'm sorry. And I know I have no salvation in church attendance, in memorizing verses and doing good deeds. Lord, I need a Savior. And I turn to you, Jesus, and I claim you as my Savior, my Lamb, and I profess with my mouth what I believe in my heart. You're my Lord, Jesus. You know what the Bible says? In that instant, you're saved, forgiven, redeemed, restored, renewed in Jesus. Hold on, I haven't been to church enough. Listen, in that instant, you know what you'll do? You'll walk in Christ after that. You know what? There'll be a desire in your heart. You'll grow in Christ. Now, I want to tell you the good news. I, sometimes I end it there. I want to tell you there's better news still. There'll be a day either in natural death, or there'll be a day when Jesus comes again. And here's the hope of believers. You know what? We'll be with that Savior. And you know what? I'll say, oh, Paul, I wish I could have been there. Listen, I'm going to see greater things. I'm going to see my Savior face to face. That's the hope we have as, as followers of Christ. Listen, if you've never trusted Jesus, do it today. If you're listening to some other means and you've never trusted Jesus, you don't need anything else. Turn to him today. Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. Forgive me. I profess you as my Savior. He'll save you today. If you've never done that, do that today. We're going to stand and we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. Listen. If God has spoken to you, if he is speaking to you, you come, I'll meet you at the front. Let's settle this today. And don't you worry about your pride. Don't you worry about what other folks will think. You come, let's settle this today. Maybe you're hearing it for the very first time. Maybe you've heard it 10,000 times. Don't leave here without that settled today. We'll tell the church, we'll set a day for your baptism. It's not part of your salvation. It's a testimony of it, testifying to who he is. We're going to stand and sing, if God has spoken to you, if you need more information, if you have questions, you come. Let's settle it today. As we stand and sing, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here.